This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 47. Are we killing wonderment? Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to Shifting Our Schools podcast. I'm so glad that you decided to listen in today. I apologize. I don't have any interviews set up. It's been a hectic couple weeks, and so you're just going to get a monologue from me today um, about just some of my thinking. I'm calling this a brain dump um, as I reflect on what's going on in my own life in the last couple of weeks around work. Um, first of all, I need to apologize if you hear a humming in the background that sounds like a generator. It is a generator. Uh, my wife and I bought this beautiful old home, and part of us being able to afford the old home is that part of the retaining wall in the backyard uh, it was missing. And so we've been working for over a year. Talk about needing uh, the ability to keep at it or having some grit. It took us a year to get a permit from the city of Seattle in order to build, rebuild a wall uh, that was originally built here when the house was built back in 1937. And so uh, we've finally got the permit from the city, and now the contractors have started rebuilding the wall, and they're actually here today, and the generator happens to be sitting outside the window. So if you hear a hum in the background and it sounds like a generator, that is actually a generator. Um, man, it's been a great couple weeks, and again, I apologize. I don't have anybody for an interview. Uh, we do have some great interviews coming up with some people lined up, but uh, I've been doing a ton of traveling the last couple weeks, plus there was spring break. So the week before spring break, I was working in uh, Enumclaw School District, and I kind of want to reflect on some of the things that we're doing there uh, and some of just my own ideas as, as I continue down this path of consulting with schools. And then uh, last week uh, was spring break for my wife, and my wife is a school counselor. I think I've mentioned that before, and so we still take spring break. And so I was doing a uh, one-day conference in Burns, Oregon with the ESD Educational Service District in Burns, Oregon. And so my wife and I took the week, and we traveled down the coast of Oregon, stayed at a little um, Airbnb out on the coast in Newport, and then drove into Burns for a day and back. So I wanted to reflect a little bit on that conference and, and some of the things that I learned that sometimes I need to remind myself. And then just yesterday, I was in Port Angeles, working with Port Angeles School District. And so I just want to take some time to kind of reflect on, as I've been going all over the place and, and having these three kind of um, conferences and working with these schools, on just kind of some of my own takeaways. And, and hopefully they, they help you in thinking deeper about your instruction and um, helping, helping students. Before we get started, though, I wanted to give a couple shout outs. Um, first of all, a, a big, a big thanks to Cheryl Woods uh, from the teacher, uh, teacher lady, Kentucky blog or teacher lady KY blog. Um, she wrote this great blog post about all of the podcasts that she listened to. And I was so honored that shifting our schools, um, ended up on her blog post. Uh, she is an elementary teacher in the state of Kentucky from Louis, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, I believe. And uh, so you head on over to her blog. I'll make sure there is a link to her blog. And Cheryl, thank you for listening. Uh, her blog address is teacherladyky.com if you want to go over and check that out. She's got a great list of, epi- of uh, podcasts that she listens to over there. And there's two new ones that I didn't have in my, uh, that I wasn't subscribed to that I decided to subscribe to as well. So I appreciate Cheryl, you just reflecting on your own podcasting. she also mentions that, um, episode 42, which was the episode on highly structured, loosely organized was her favorite. And, um, it's interesting because that is, 
probably the most downloaded, listened to, and the the one, the episode I've gotten the most feedback on. So I appreciate that. If you haven't listened to that, that's episode 42. Uh, it's highly structured, loosely organized, the way we organize learning in a tech-rich classroom. So I wanted to say uh, a shout out to her and also a shout out to uh, Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Johnson has been to a couple of trainings that I've done and worked with her school. Um, she's at uh, Luke's underscore Johnson. And I'll put a link to her and I'll actually embed her tweet. She tweeted me the other day. And one of the things that one of the conferences we were at and, and some of the trainings we've gone through is we talk about using the design cycle or the design process to help kids create. And she has this great photo of where she had kids storyboarding. I love having kids storyboard. Not only is it an assessment piece, it's a huge part of being able to visualize what we're going to make before we make it. And so she has this great tweet that she tweeted me talking about using the design process with her kiddos and they were storyboarding out an anti-bullying campaign. And so you get to see how these kids are, are talking about anti-bullying and what they want to create. And then their final project, what they're going to create is they're going to create a, um, a tinker animation, which I think is so great. That's so cool. And so I will make sure to embed that tweet also in the show notes. You can go over and check that out. It's just a great visual of kids, um, of kids creating stuff, you know, and that's, that's really what we want. You know, I, I say in a lot of my conferences now, my kind of go-to line is the world belongs to those that create, And I think we see that every day, not those that consume. And how do we get kids to be creative? And I think kids want to be creative. And somehow we take that creativity out of education. How do we bring creativity back? And there is assessment in the creative process. We can still meet standards. We can still have formative and summative feedbacks in the creation process and not just some test at the end of the unit. And that's some of the stuff I want to dig in today. So as we kind of head into the brain dump, uh, here are some things I was thinking about. So I want to start with Burns, Oregon. Um, Burns, Oregon is in the southeastern uh, part of Oregon to kind of set the stage for you. We are talking um, very remote. Let's put it that way. It is very remote. I was talking with Eric, who is the tech lead there at the ESD, uh, which is an educational service district that kind of helps support all of these small school districts. And I didn't even realize this, and this was a real eye opener for me, is that in Eastern Oregon, there are still these really small school districts that are one room schoolhouses. Eric was telling us that one of the schools has three kids, a school district of three kids. And some school districts only have eight or 12 and, you know, kids travel um, from, a, from around the area to go there. He was talking about that there's a high school it's a boarding school and some kids uh, travel up to two hours to go to school. Their parents drop them off on Sunday night. They go to school Monday through Thursday and then their parents pick them up on Thursday and they get a three-day weekend back on the ranch in Eastern Oregon. And it was a mind opening to me because I need to remember personally that there are still places like this that exist. And when we talk about technology, the power of technology to bring the world to those people no matter where you are in the world, those that are in remote places that don't get a chance to travel or to experience other cultures, I think is even more important. And how much work do we have to do even here in the United States when he's telling me that some of these schools still have a dial-up connection? You know, they maybe have a 256K or a 512 dial-up connection. And I think we just need to remember that how do we bring those experiences or these experiences to 
um, some of those kids as well that might not live in an urban area or in a school district that is Wi-Fi. And so I'm just trying to figure out if how can I be more involved with helping those school districts and those teachers. And one of the things that was another big takeaway is I just talked to a bunch of the teachers that were at the conference. Two things I loved about this conference. One, there were about 30 kids there. It was awesome. There's about as many kids as there were adults at the conference. And uh, to listen and talk with some kids was always you know, the best part. Uh, the way they set up the conference is actually at the end of the conference. It was just a one day conference. They actually did like a shark tank where teachers and kids collaborated on a unit together and then had to pitch that unit. And, uh, we, the presenters that got brought in along with some of the students in the audience, uh, became the judges for the shark tank. And then the teacher, the winning teams that won got to pick from the prizes first. Uh, but just a, a great way to create that atmosphere and a little bit of competitiveness, but at the same time, create lessons that bring technology into the classroom. But here was my big takeaway is here. I'm talking with teachers who don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of connectivity. Some of them have textbooks that are 10 and 15 years old. And yet why do I find that the the less resources a teacher has, the more creative they become? That was a big moment as I walked away from that conference and I continued to reflect is what I am finding is I am finding the less resources a teacher has, the more creative the units and lessons become. The more we give teachers stuff, the more they feel like they have to cover content. You know, I've sat in so many, uh, I've given so many presentations and sat in so many rooms with teachers. And I've actually had teachers on either side of the table arguing. One teacher saying, well, we have this curriculum. We have to follow the curriculum. And I just wish we didn't have curriculum that we had to follow. And the teacher sitting on the other side of the table is arguing the exact opposite point of like, well, I wish we had curriculum. We don't have any curriculum and we have to make this stuff up every day. And to me, that's really frustrating. Like, why, why can't we just make it up every day? I mean, there are standards we need to hit. There are things we know that kids need to learn. And why is it that I find that the, the, the fewer resources we give teachers, the more creative they become? And maybe we need to rethink as schools about that. I mean, you want to give teachers a resource? Give teachers the internet and give every student in your classroom the power of the internet. Give them a device that connects to the internet. That allows the world to become your curriculum. What if the world was your curriculum? You don't need stuff. We can learn anything we want. And that theme is a theme that over these last couple weeks has really, really hit home with me. And so as I continued on, uh, last, uh, just yesterday, I got back from Port Angeles uh, School District here in the state of Washington. And Port Angeles School District, if you've never been to Port Angeles and you're in the state of Washington, um, or if you ever come to visit, it is totally worth it. It is so beautiful. It's out on the peninsula, right on the water on the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Um, Just a beautiful, beautiful little town to go and visit for sure. My wife and I go there two, three times a year, drive through it at least out to the coast. But when I was up there yesterday, we were... Uh, It was just a one day, a three hour workshop with some teachers as the school district starts to think about building in more Chromebook carts and where they headed and and starting to throw around some of the ideas about what would it look like to go one to one here? What kind of support would we need to go one to one here? And I think one of the big takeaways that 
um, the teachers came up after me afterwards and talked to me about was understanding tech generations. And I don't know if we haven't stopped to understand the different tech generations we have. And I think this becomes very important as teachers because when we send things home to parents, we need to make sure that we are giving parents information in the way they need and want to receive it. And all too often, I don't think we think enough about our audience when we're sending home information. So here is how I've broken it down uh, in some of my trainings and when I'm talking with teachers is that we have different tech generations, not just different generations. And I talked about that in the last podcast about the different generations we have now across the world. And I kind of talked about this in that as well, but I think it's worth repeating in this uh, episode as well, that these different generations, we have to think as teachers, okay, if I am a high school teacher and I know the parents are of a certain age, I need to communicate to them in the way they want to be communicated to. Otherwise, as a teacher and as a school, we frustrate them. And that's the last thing we want to do for parents. So here's how I've kind of broken it down. If your parents are over the age of 55, what we are finding is that they would appreciate a phone call. And if you had a Facebook page as a teacher, they would read the Facebook page. All right. They are of a generation that grew up their technology. If you're 55 and older, the technology they grew up as, with as students, as kids, and the technology that is their technology is the phone. So when a teacher calls a parent who's in their late 50s, early 60s, they really appreciate a phone call. They want that personal connection. To them, that is a personal connection. Now, when you, if your parents are between the ages of 35 and 55, then they are the email generation. That is my generation, right? My generation is the email generation. And as I say in my presentations, you, you know us because we walk around just telling everybody like, will you email me that? Will you email me that? Can you put that in my inbox? That's, that's my generation, right? We live in our inbox. We check our inbox 30 to 40 times a day. Um, I see it all the times in trainings. Teachers can't stay out of their inbox, especially teachers in this generation. So if your parents are between the ages of 35 and 55, they would appreciate an email, from their teacher. That to them is personal enough. You could call them. They're probably not going to answer because that's not their means. They've moved on from that, but they would appreciate an email and an email. They might even respond to you quicker than if you were to call them. They also check Facebook. We know Facebook has told us at what age, uh, what ages are mostly on Facebook. And it's those 35 and above, actually those 55 and above now make up a majority of Facebook users, but we still have this group. So if you wanted to have a Facebook page for your class, or a Facebook group, you'd be hitting those parents. That is where those parents want to be. Now, if you're an elementary uh, teacher, and let's say your parents are between the ages of 22 and 35, they are a texting generation. They would appreciate a text message from the teacher. This generation, still, they, they check email, but not nearly as much as they check text messages. They are a texting generation. Here's the worst thing you can do, teacher. If you call a parent who's between the ages of 22 and 35, they're probably not going to answer their phone. You don't call a millennial without texting them first. 
All right. You have to text them and ask for permission. And I see this play out all the time. I mentioned my wife is a school counselor and she has this exact same issue. She's an elementary school, uh, uh, elementary school counselor, and she has called parents before who will not pick up the phone. But as soon as she texts them, they will text her right back and they will allow her or she has to ask for permission in text in order to call them. And please, I'm not saying this is right, but I'm saying we need to stop and think about the different tech generations that we're communicating to and make sure we're communicating in the right way. And here's the biggest takeaway of them all. We have made a switch with technology in that nobody, none of us wants to go to one more place to get information. Nobody does. Nobody wants to go to one more place to get information. So if we think that by building a website or by uh, building something where we can put, you know, allow parents in so that they can come to us to get information, that is not what people want. People want information to come to them. People want information to find them. They don't want to have to go somewhere to get resources. They want those resources to be pushed to them. This is why things, and you can use any learning management system you want, they all now have push technology built in. For example, I'll just use Google Classroom as an example. Google Classroom, you can put in the email address of your parents, and every time that there's an assignment, it will actually send an email to the parents saying a new assignment is done. You can do the same thing in Canvas, the same thing in Blackboard. That push technology gets you into a parent's phone. And in many of my presentations, I say it over and over again. If you get on the phone, you win. The phone is what nobody leaves behind. People turn around and go back home to get their phone. They don't turn around to go back to get anything else. But if they forget their phone, they'll go get their phone. Find a way to get on teachers' phones. Find a way to get on students' phones. How are you pushing information to students? Students don't want to have to log in. They don't want to have to go somewhere. Yes, we need to force them to. We need to get them to go in. But when it is just communication, when we're talking this communication, how are we being able to push information to where it is. I spend, I see a lot of teachers and I went through this. Don't get me wrong, right? In the early 2000s, I was in Dreamweaver making cool web pages and my class had an amazing website and it was a place for parents to go. And that's the early 2000s. By, by 2018, people want information to find them. They don't want to have to go somewhere to find information. How do you set up a communication stream? What does your communication stream look like in your classroom? If you've been thinking about this, I'd really appreciate leaving a comment on this episode or uh, tweet me or head over to sospodcast.org slash questions and leave a Flipgrid response. How are you thinking about pushing information to those that need it instead of making those people come to you? Nobody wants to go to one more place. Nobody wants to log in to one. Nobody wants another username and password. I haven't found anybody that says, you know, if I had one more username and password, my life would be complete. Nobody says that, right? So how do we, how are we pushing information to parents to get them involved? That is what people want today. The last thing I want to reflect on is, um, some of the work I've been doing down in Enumclaw School District. And I've been working with Enumclaw School District. Enumclaw School District is about mm, 30, 40 miles south of Seattle. Uh, beautiful rural school district. It's right at the base of Mount Rainier. 
beautiful, beautiful place. I love going down there. The people are amazing. The kids are incredible. Um, and we've been doing work the last three years now as they've rolled out their one-to-one. They are a full one-to-one district now, uh, fifth through 12th grade. And then uh, they've got carts and they're at about a two-to-one uh, below that and fourth through uh, kindergarten. But through this, when I spent down there this last time, um, right before spring break, there are a couple things that that they really they really hit me over the head with. And I think this school district is going to be one to watch uh, to see how they are truly changing their ideas about what does it mean to be educated. And I'm going to try and get, and this, I'm going to put it in the podcast to force myself to get them to come and to force them to get on the podcast. But I want to get Chris and Jill um, on the podcast uh, so you can hear from them kind of what their vision is. But here's couple takeaways from working with Enumclaw, the power of leadership and visioning to have everyone from the superintendent down to the principals of schools have a vision and be truly leaders. Instructional leaders is so incredibly powerful. I can't, I can't state how much fun it is to work in a district where from top to bottom, the leadership and vision is there. And with that, you gain trust with your teachers. Our whole idea a couple of weeks ago was unleashing teachers. And Chris and Jill did such a great job of framing it for teachers. And the whole idea was what if we what if we did what if we did what we know is right for kids? And what if we unleash teachers from this idea of teaching to the test? What if we unleash teachers from this idea of you have curriculum to cover and we just allow them to teach? We just allowed them to teach. Now with that, this was an interesting part, is we started thinking about when was the last time we asked students what they wanted to learn? And as we started kind of getting into that, we realized that, you know, in kindergarten and first grade, Kids ask a lot of questions. I think the average seven-year-old asks like 144 questions a day because they're constantly wanting to learn. Why is it by the time we get to be seniors in high school, we're not asking questions as students and to an even deeper kind of gut-wrenching point, when's the last time you asked your students what they wanted to learn or what interests them? And when we stepped back and we kind of thought about that, we were thinking, uh, you know, I don't know, what, what do our kids want to learn? And so we created, or um, Tracy Brown, who's the instructional coach there, created a survey to send out to 6th through 12th graders of some of the teachers that we were going to uh, work with that day. And let me pull this up on my computer real quick. Give me just one sec. And I wanted to read to you, um, the question to students was, if you were given the opportunity to research and explore any question or idea at school, what would it be? Now, of course, not every kid took it, took it seriously, but I wanted to read to you what some of these kids came up with that I wonder if any, anybody knows that they wonder about this, uh, this stuff and where does this fit in our curriculum? So here's an eighth grader. I want to learn to build an RC remote control car. A sixth grader, why do jellyfish sting you? A 10th grader, why am I so tired all the time? Another sixth grader, how would math help me be a veterinarian? A 10th grader, how can we take care of the global warming problem? A ninth grader, 
Is our school using renewable energy? And how can we learn more about how we can make our nation use cleaner energy sources? A ninth grader, how should I handle my money? How much should I save? How much of my money should I be saving? A 10th grader, what would I need to take in school to understand what to do in my future? Those are just a handful of questions that I think about. Oh my gosh, there is curriculum everywhere. Yet here are middle school and high school teachers that, or middle school and high school students, apologize, that maybe for the first time, somebody at the school or first time in years has asked them, what do you want to learn? And all of those questions will fit in the curriculum somewhere. I know they will. We can help these kids learn everything we need them to learn by asking them what they want to learn. It's called passion-driven education. And we need to be thinking about that every, all of us have questions. Kids have questions. And at some point in the educational system, we don't allow them to ask those questions anymore. I mean, we allow them to ask questions as long as those questions are, you know, dealing with the assignment we're talking about. Oh yeah, don't worry. We allow kids to raise their hand as long as that question pertains to whatever it is we happen to be studying on or the worksheet we're working on or what it is we're doing in class. But to just open it up and say, what do you want to learn about? What, what would be your passion? And how can we relate that to our class? It makes me think about, are we killing wonderment in schools? Are we killing wonderment? You know, if we're not allowing kids to ask the questions that they want answers to, do we, do we kill the human spirit and not allow kids to wonder? And it's just, it's a question that has been rolling in my mind now for a couple of weeks. Um, where... Where do we go with that? And how do we unleash teachers to once again be A, excited about teaching, B, have the freedom to teach, and C, bring wonderment back into the classroom and allow kids to explore their passions within our content areas? So here's my challenge to you. And I've been thinking about this and I I really want to challenge you as a listener of the Shifting Our Schools podcast. You know, how do we start making these shifts? And so here's my challenge to you as you finish up listening to this episode. I want to ask you to ask your students if they could learn anything, what would they want to learn about and find a way to bring their questions into your classroom and curriculum. That's my challenge. We're in this great place right now, at least in North America, you know, where we're kind of winding down the school year, where everybody's kind of past the spring break, and we know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, test season, testing season is coming up, and you've kind of got these odd breaks in time. What a great time period in our school year to think about something like this. Like, what if I just ask kids, or even reflect, when's the last time you asked students what they wanted to learn about ancient Egypt or what they wanted to learn about financial responsibility or what they wanted to learn or what book they want to read. When was the last time we asked kids what they wanted? And so that's my challenge to you. Take some time and just ask kids, what do you want to learn? And then be creative in finding a way to bring those questions into your classroom with your kids. As we wrap up this episode, I wanted to mention just one more thing. I'm so, so excited about this, and I really hope to see a bunch of you there. But at Eduro Learning, we are going to have a conference, a one-day conference, the last week of June. 
The date is set for June 27th here in Seattle. We've got the most beautiful venue. I promise uh, there are very few teachers that have been at a venue like the one we have chosen. It is at the Bell Harbor International Conference Center. It's right on the pier. It sits out on pier, I think it's pier 66, I think, in downtown Seattle. And so you are sitting out over the water. You've got this incredible view of the skyline. It is like one of the most invigorating places. That's why I always love having conferences there. But the conference is called The Future Is Now. Again, June 27th. Um, What we are trying to do with this conference, and here's the idea, is we want to bring the business world and education world together. So here in Seattle, we have gone out to some businesses and we've asked employees and employers to come and spend time with teachers because we keep saying we need to teach kids the skills of the future. Well, here in Seattle, we happen to have a lot of companies that are building the future. So we have a biotech company, Juno Therapeutics, who is sending us a statistician, who is sending us a doctor. We are in talks with Amazon and trying to get somebody from Amazon here. We're hoping to get an engineer from Boeing. And this is going to be a STEM-focused conference where we are getting people from the business who are creating the future to come and spend a day with educators and create meaningful units and lessons that are creative, that build the skills that these people say are needed in today's workplace and beyond. That is our hope. It's going to be a great day of learning. It's one day. um, If you're If you know Seattle or not, this is a big thing. Parking is included. We are paying your parking to come to downtown Seattle, which if you're not from Seattle and you want to fly in, it's a big deal. Um, We also will be providing lunch and snacks. Uh, It's a great day to learn more about this. And if you'd love to, if you have questions, please hit me up. But uh, to learn more and to see where this goes, um, if you can go to Shifting Our Schools or SOSpodcast.org slash T-F-I-N. The future is now. So T-F-I-N, SOSpodcast.org, T-F-I-N to get more information. You can register. We've got discounts. If you send five people from your school, we've got a discount. And if you send 10 people or 10 people from your school are able to come, there's another discount as well. And so we're very excited about this. You're going to be hearing about this probably in every podcast uh, between now and June as we continue to um, reach out to our uh, businesses here in Seattle and have them be a part of this conference as well. So we're really excited. Please head over and check it out. SOSpodcast.org slash T-F-I-N. There will be STEM Clockville clock hours available. So there will be clock hours. I think it's six clock hours available that will meet any STEM requirements that your state might have. So that's a, just an added bonus. So I appreciate you, um, listening today. I apologize if you heard the generator in the background throughout the episode, hopefully the next episode, it it won't be here, but until next time, we'll see you on the network. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.